Ready to roll? Yes? Today we begin the verses for the letter tzaddik. The eight verses that correspond. Sorry, is that a problem? You say when. What's the problem? Hmm? No audio. That's a problem. Testing, testing, one, two, testing. 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 Is the sound on YouTube? Is that not plugged in over there? Testing. Testing, testing, one, two, one, two. Yeah. 
was a higher thing, but I mean, I could pull the audio from the direction. All right, sorry everybody for these delays. Circumstances beyond our control. Today we are going to begin to learn the verses, the eight verses that correspond to the letter Tzaddik. Now, before I begin, verse 137, I just want to bring to mind for a moment the notion that when the letters, the Hebrew letters, are talked about and described in the Gemara and Masechet Shabbat on page 104, and we've talked about this fairly often during these classes when we begin the verses of a new letter, so the theme the dominant theme that emerges from the Gemara's pithy few, few words is the notion of kfifut, or bowing one's head in absolute submission. And the Gemara queries that there are other letters that are also somewhat bowed. And the Gemara says that the tzaddik is even more so. So when we speak about the tzaddik, and the tzaddik, of course, or the tzaddi is a person of extraordinary righteousness, we're talking about an individual who surrenders his or herself to the will of Hashem and a person who is prepared to experience the highest level of self-abnegation and self-transcendence in order to be able to be absorbed into the higher truth and communion and oneness with the Creator. So with this as a springboard, let us begin the study of verse 137. Tzaddik Atta. You're a tzaddik. God. Tzaddik ata Hashem. V'yashar mishpatecha. Hashem, you are a tzaddik and your judgments or ordinances are upright. So the obvious question that comes to mind when you open a verse like this is, who exactly is giving God compliments? <laughs> you know, when, you, when a person does something appropriate and nice, you say, ach, you're such a tzaddik. You're so righteous. You're so good. What are we telling God he's good? God is a tzaddik? A person could be a tzaddik or a rasha. A person could be righteous, which means that they do that which is right, despite the fact that it may come at great personal cost and it requires traveling uh, against the wind, so to speak, on the path of greater resistance. Or a person could be a rasha, which invariably for the most part, means just giving in to whims and to desires, and sometimes even prosecuting those crimes and being downright wicked and evil about it. So a person could be a tzaddik or a rasha, and that's a choice that we have to make. A person could also be somewhere in between, which is called a benani. This terminology is mut for God. God's a tzaddik, chas v'shalom, not. You can only be a tzaddik if there's the possibility of the opposite. It's only, and precisely because a person could be wicked, that a person would be called righteous. So obviously we're not complimenting God on his character. And we're not saying to God, we've judged, we've come to the conclusion, you, you God, are a tzaddik. Obviously it can't mean it, it doesn't mean that. What does it mean then? What does it mean when we say tzaddik ato? 
And the verse continues and it says, V'yashar mishpatecha, and your judgments are upright. Is that to say that there's a possibility of them not being upright? And how, of course, does one flow into the next? In Hebrew, the letter Vav is called a Vav HaMechaber. It's the equivalent of an and in English. So it's Tzadik Hashem, you are righteous God, and kind of like, or as a result of, because you are righteous, that's why the Yashar Mishpatecha. And I'm not just uh, imagining that to be, because in fact, when you take a look at uh, the commentary of Rabbeinu Yosef ben Avram Chiyun, the Rishiyun puts it exactly that way. He says, Tzadik Ata, you are a Tzadik, Kevan, Sha'ata Tzadik, because you are a Tzadik. So that's why Lachain, therefore, V'yashem Mishpatecha. So clearly there is a direct link between Tzadik Ata and V'yashem Mishpatecha. What in heaven is going on there? What are we really trying to say? So let's begin, as we've been wont to do lately, by taking a look at the Medrash Tilim, the oldest documented commentary that we have on the Book of Psalms. Our sages, and much of this is nameless, our sages tell us on the words Tzadik Ata Hashem, Omar Shlomo, Shlomo, not David. We're now cross-referencing something from Mishle, from Proverbs. In the 8th chapter of Proverbs, in verses 9 and 10, Shlomo HaMelech says, Kol imre fi ein bohem niftol. In all of God's words, there is nothing that is twisted or perverse. Kulam neichichim they're all available, if you will, or possible to understand. So what does that mean? I guess the Medrash Tillam is beginning its question with another question. You want to understand the meaning of King David's statement, Tzadik Hashem? Let's take a look at a statement that his son prophetically made in the book of Proverbs and Mishlei. What does he say there? Where he says, Kol niftol, the none of your words are perverse. So what is the meaning of Betzedek Kol So the Medrash says, that kol everything that God said in righteousness, all of the things that come from God are upright. All the things that come from God are righteous. And that's the meaning of tzadik Hashem. That is to say, kishem sha'ata tzadik, just as you are right or righteous, so too, mishpatechem tzadikim v'yisharim. So too, your judgments are also righteous and upright. This ultimately is also paraphrased in the words of Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu himself in Parshas Vaschanan, where it says, "Mi goigado, who is the great nation that God is their personal, so to speak, God. The Creator is their personal God." And so Knesset Yisrael says that Hashem came on Har Sinai, Yisharim, and He gave them upright ordinances. That's why it says Tzadikat. So what does that mean? I think what the Medrash is saying is that because we believe that God is perfect, therefore God's Torah is perfect. Because we believe that God is right, God is always right. 
So we cannot question the Torah and say, hmm, this mitzvah I'm not so sure about. Now, when you put it in simple terms like, God is God, God is right, it's God's Torah, everybody would have to say, oh yeah, yeah it's God's Torah, of, of, of course it's all right. However, once we start to get into practical life, there are many people who question many mitzvahs. And this is exactly, at least for the opening volley of understanding, on this verse of Tillam, this is exactly what David Amalek is saying. Understand that you cannot separate between God and between God's Torah. Tzadik ato. You believe that God is right? You believe God is righteous? V'yosher kol mishpatecha. If God is righteous, his entire Torah is also upright. There's a Rishon who is known as Maharam Arama. And he says that there are some people who accept the proverbial scripture. Scripture is right. We don't violate scripture. But the oral traditions, nah, this is already the rabbis flavoring. It's, it's not mamash Torah. It's not actual Torah. Or as one wayward individual calls of a rabbi said to me, of course I believe that there was revelation at Sinai. I said, well, if you believe revelation at Sinai, then how could you teach your congregation what you're teaching them? He says, well, I don't know exactly what it was at Sinai. There was something at Sinai. I believe there was an event at Sinai. Something definitely happened, but we don't know exactly what that was. And the rabbis came and twisted it, and the rabbis came and, and, and put it into a particular frame, and we don't have to accept everything the rabbis say. We can be open-minded about it. I said to him, I'm gonna, I, let's, here's the simple point why I cannot accept what you're saying. Because if God came to us at Sinai, and he gave us some kind of a nebulous revelation. We don't know exactly what it meant. The basic ideas. So then God set us up for failure. He gave us a Torah, but he didn't tell us what's in the Torah. He has expectations, but doesn't articulate what those expectations are. Then how in heaven could he expect us to behave a certain way? As they say in Hebrew, you've got to make up your mind here. Either God doesn't care what you do, Live your life, YOLO, you live once, knock yourself out, have fun, I'll see you in uh, 120 years. Or God cares very much about what you do, and what you do makes a world of difference. Well, in that case, God would have had to tell us exactly what He wants. And this, says Maharama Rama, is precisely the point that's being made here by David HaMelech. Tzadik Atta, a Yid believes on the level of faith that God is always right. And if God is right, then V'yosha Mishpatecha, then your mitzvahs also have to be right. It's interesting that Rashi chose not to comment on this verse at all, or in the next verse. But if you take a look in the classic commentaries, like for example the Mitzudas David, he doesn't even deal with the notion of tzadikata. He simply says, V'yashar mishpatecha, and he says, Kol echod mi mishpatecha hiyashar. All, every one of your ordinances are upright. One cannot pick and choose when it comes to the Torah. One cannot say, this prohibition, it's unfair. If people were created with a certain nature, we should celebrate that. How could we demonize the person for being born a certain way? Oh, did God make a mistake? I cannot accept God made mistakes. If God created a person that way, it must be that their behavior is appropriate. Says who? That's not what God's Torah says. God's Torah tells us that people will be created with all kinds of desires and wants and cravings and yearnings and lusts, all of which will be un-Torah-like. And if we choose to follow those natural tendencies, then we'll be in violation of the Torah. Plain and simple. So one cannot come along and say, I believe that God is just. I believe, I don't know that, I, I can't see it in our minds, we can't see it, but we believe that God is just. However, this mitzvah is unfair. 
or some of the mitzvahs, they don't seem to make sense by our standards today. David Melch says this, the opening verse of tzaddik, you want to be righteous? The first thing of righteousness is you have to know that tzaddik ato. V'yashar mishpatecha kol mishpatecha. All of the Torah you cannot pick and choose. Interestingly, Ibn Ezra, who never saw the writings of Mitzvah David, I think he lived before him, says exactly the same thing. Kol echad mi mishpatecha. He transcribes the words tzaddik, v'yashar, clearly linking them together, as the Rikhiyun did for us. And he says, the point is, kol echad, all, all of them. And Radak follows the same approach. Va'amar v'yashar, and he says v'yashar, kol echad mi mishpatecha, yashar, I found something very interesting in the Me'iri where it says kol echad mi about all the mishpatecha. So the Me'iri says that's because mishpatecha is l'shen rabim. It's plural. It doesn't say v'yashar mishpat, that some of your mishpat, some of your judgment is upright. This is all of your judgment. Kol echad mi So clearly there seems to be a dominant strain within the writings of the Rishonim, the classic commentaries, which is by and large in keeping with or lifted from the words of the Medrash, what the Medrash says, Mishpatechem Tzadikim, and it says clearly, all, there's an emphasis here even in the Medrash, Kol Masha Baruch Hu, all the things that God proverbially spoke to us, B'Tzedek. So there's this idea that David HaMelech was emphasizing the concept of God is right, God is righteous, Everything that God says must be righteous. Now, this is one approach. And from this approach, we're speaking about the Torah. Torah Judaism. The faith system that we believe in, which is not just a system of beliefs, but actually a system of responsibilities, things that have to be done and carried out, not only the meditations of mind or emotion in heart, but rather things done in action, things we have to, a way of life, a way to live, that all of that, all of that has to be accepted on faith. If it comes from Hashem, it's right. If it comes from Hashem, it's good. I have a very wise aunt. She lives in Tzfat. Her name is Rebetzin Sarah Kaplan. And she told me something very interesting. Years ago, when my wife and I went to visit her, she said, I don't even remember how we got into this conversation, but she said there was a particular area of Torah that one of her students just couldn't wrap her head around. It couldn't deal a particular mitzvah. I don't even remember what it was at the time we had talked about it. She couldn't wrap her head around it. So my aunt wisely told her, she said, if you cannot relate to this mitzvah, for sure Hashem is not going to put you in that position. Hashem won't, because he, he cannot give you impossible. You say you can't relate to it, then you won't have to. You won't have to. You won't have to deal with this. There was a woman who was observant, who became observant, said this one thing she'll never be able to do. So well, if, if, if that's true, you won't have to deal with it. But the truth, objectively speaking, is that all of God's mitzvahs are perfect. All of God's mitzvahs. And of course, there's going to be things we don't understand. Hashem says that in His Torah. He even says that there are certain mitzvahs called chukim, which we've talked about a lot in these classes, and the, the, the sages say, You don't even have permission to try and understand or grasp it in a rational sense, which is fine. That's, we, we, have to, we, have, we accept it on faith. But the faith-filled Jew, the tzaddik, 
is a person who knows that all of the things that God asks of us are necessarily going to be good. Even if it doesn't seem that way to us. Now, it goes now, here's another approach to learning this Pasuk. The Tehillah Hashem says that the notion of Mishpatecha could also be understood as actual judgments. And he metaphorizes with the following parable. There was a rebellion against a monarch. The king, a mortal king of flesh and blood, flew into a rage. And he wished to exact recompense, punishment, from those who were involved in the rebellion. And in his anger, he leveled a capital punishment at those who led the sedition. So the Tehillah Seshem says, that's the case with the king of flesh and blood. However, when somebody rebels against Hashem, then Hashem always looks for merits, always looks for ways to be able to exonerate the person. When it's a king of flesh and blood, he says, even though there might be a reason to exonerate. Maybe the person was intoxicated. The person was a fool, didn't grasp the enormity of the situation, didn't see the perspective as they should have when they dishonored the king or violated his dignity. But you, God, you are tzaddik. You are perfect. You are righteous. Which means, even in a time of divine anger, you still seek to find some concept of merit. So this is the meaning of tzaddik. God is perfect. And even when there's a question of mishpat, and mishpat is judgment, even then, Hashem is righteous in judgment. So the judgment is never, so to speak, harsh. It's always a merciful judgment. Now this begins to take us in a little bit of a, of a different direction. And that takes us now in a direction of the things God actually does, which we don't understand. So the Shar Chaim explains. He says, the first thing is tzadik ato, animatzdik hadin. A person, heaven for friends, suffered. I accept upon myself Hashem's judgment. And I say, Tzadikata. You know, at a funeral, there's a prayer which is recited at the end of the burial. It's called Tzidukadin. And one of the words we say in that prayer is Tzadikata. V'yashem Mishpatecha. So we believe that everything has a purpose, even though we may not understand that purpose. And he says sometimes, Decades later, it becomes clear. For example, the sale of Yosef, very widely known biblical narrative, documents an awful event. Brothers who sold their younger orphan brother into slavery. First tried to kill him, then sold him into slavery, expecting never to see of him again. And if you would stop the story right there, it would be entirely awful. But if you keep reading, you find out that in Yosef's own words, Lemichia Shalachai, or Lemichia Shlochani, Hashem sent me so that I might provide sustenance for the rest of the family. 
So only when you see the whole story does it suddenly begin to make sense, does it suddenly become something which we're able to relate to. Now this approach of the Sha'are Chaim is echoed in the writings. First I'll go back to an earlier Rishon, and then I want to share with you the words of the Alshech in his commentary until Rebim is killed. The Sepharno says, Tzadik Ata Hashem, the Jewish people were exiled. God did so righteously. And why did it happen? Because we weren't righteous. We didn't administer tzedek, which means justice. There was evus hadin. There was corruption. And our corruption brought about God's judgment upon us. As it says in the Parsha of Shoftim, in the book of Deuteronomy 16, tzedek, tzedek, tirdof, you will surely pursue justice in a non-corrupted fashion. Pardon me. In order that you will live and inherit. So therefore, we didn't do that. We know the courts were corrupt. And because the courts were corrupt, we were exiled. The Sanhedrin actually uprooted itself. It's self-exiled because in order for it to have any criminal court, you have to be sitting in the Beit HaMikdash and things were so corrupt they no longer felt able to do that. And then he says, This refers to those who are actually responsible for the study of Torah. Those who, so to speak, hold the Torah in their domain, meaning the ones who are responsible for teaching and dispensing it. And that takes us into the next verse. You commanded us to be just. You commanded us to be objective, to be true to administer justice with integrity. We didn't do that. And because of this, you, you expected of us tremendous faithfulness. And as such, because we didn't do that, that's why God's justice is right. In other words, this notion that when things happen, we accept it upon ourselves, not only that He's God, I have no choice, we have to accept it, but we actually believe that what happened is right. Even when our minds cannot relate to that, our neshama, our soul believes that. Let me share with you the words of the Alshech. And then I want to share the words that the Rebbe penned in a letter to somebody on this very idea. The Alshech says, Tzadik Ata Hashem is referring to the notion of a good person, a righteous person who suffers. In the, in the literal iteration of Tzadik Veraloi, a Tzadik for whom life is bad. And then the polar opposite of that is the faith conundrum, not of the tzaddik who suffers, but of the wicked person who prospers. Rasha v'tevle. The Yoimar, Dovod HaMelech is saying that despite the fact that this looks so odd, that we cannot wrap our heads around or understand why would a good person suffer? Why are the righteous in pain? Why are the wicked prospering and happy? So we say... Even though it seems that God is not here behaving mercifully towards us, but rather in a way of judgment. And even so much so, where good things are happening to bad people. So we say, tzaddik, it's right. It's right. It's exactly as it should be. How could that be? So the Asher goes on to say that the wicked person, he focuses on the immediacy of material gain and pleasure. That's all he's interested in. Spiritual pursuit, irrelevant to him. 
higher purpose, eternal rewards. No time for that. The, the Russia, the wicked person, is only interested in what's going on right now at this moment. God says, that's fine. Tzadikata. Hashem is righteous. Hashem says, that's what you want? No problem. Then that's what you'll get. You'll be rewarded for whatever good things you performed in this world. And then there'll be nothing left. However, the, the, the righteous individual who focuses on goodness, who focuses on spiritual pursuit, who yearns and craves for a spiritual oneness with God, who seeks to elevate and transform this world, making it a place that reflects the Creator, Hashem is Yashar. That person focused on spirituality and goodness, and that is why he or she might suffer in this world. And in doing so, they shed themselves of whatever inequity or imperfection they may have engaged in, whatever markings, whatever stain the soul absorbed due to a lack of perfect devotion, Hashem is cleansed, and that's Yashar. Hashem is upright. Exactly what the tzaddik wanted. Now, this is very easy to talk about when I'm not suffering or when you're not suffering. Theoretically, sounds great. Realistically, it's very, very difficult to wrap our heads around this. It's very, very hard for us to understand how, at least on an emotional level, how, how does that work? How can we say that everything God does is good and everything is fantastic when people are tragically suffering and the suffering is very, very real? So the Alshech says, yeah, we may be perplexed, but people of faith will humbly accept this enig enigma of the divine scheme. We make a declaration. Tzadikata, that's my declaration of faith. In a letter to somebody, the Rebbe develops this idea and explains it in a way which helps us relate to it a little bit better. He says the reality is that a person sees a limited part of the big picture. That's just the reality. We are little people with a very, very small, relatively myopic vision. So we have our tunnel vision. We see a small part of the picture. And furthermore, not only we aren't seeing the whole picture so we have a skewed perspective, even what we are seeing, we're seeing through our very limited ability to be able to evaluate and interpret the true meaning of the things we actually see and know because we have very little information. And the Rebbe, in order to make the concept clearer, he says, here's an example from modern-day medicine. Suppose an uninformed stranger were to enter an operating theater in a hospital. What will he see? He'll see a, a naked, helpless person on a table, surrounded by people wearing masks, holding sharp implements, knives, tweezers, and the masked people are stabbing and cutting this person with cold indifference. Blood is flowing. The person is moaning and in pain and clearly under some kind of influence so he won't jump off the table. He's drugged and restrained. And what would the stranger think when he sees this? You say this is a torture chamber. Monsters. They're, they're mercilessly cutting, murdering an innocent individual. Well, from his perspective, he's never seen an operating room before, an operating theater. He never doesn't never see modern medicine, never heard of it. But if the stranger understood what we understand, 
and he would see this operating table, even if the patient would not live for a long time. And even if the patient wouldn't survive, he would know that the people, that the doctors and nurses, wearing masks, not because they're committing a crime, but because they don't want to spread their germs. And they're using sharp implements to cut this person because they're trying to remove a tumor or fix a blockage. They're trying to help this person. They're trying to save this person. Not only would he not condemn them, but he would look at these medical practitioners as great humanitarians. And the point then is this. The Rebbe says, we see many things which we don't understand. We also have the privilege sometimes of seeing how everything happens in a perfectly choreographed fashion. And nothing's random. It's all Ashgachah Pratis. And as such, because we see that all of this is part of the divine plan, then it behooves us to at least know that ultimately, even when we don't understand, because we have just a small picture, just a small part of the greater reality, and that even what we are seeing, we're seeing through the prism of our own vision, which is highly limited. We're processing that information by virtue of our limited knowledge. So the conclusions we come to, or the things we think we are seeing, aren't actually so. <laughs> Imagine if you would show a person a moment of somebody's life, just a moment, a long movie called Life, 100 years long, and you would show them the moment that the child fell off the bicycle, writhing in pain, having skinned their knees, and that's all you saw from a person's childhood. What would you say? They had a miserable childhood. No, they actually had a beautiful childhood. You happen to see the five minutes in which they fell off the bicycle that their parents bought them, and you didn't see all the other things the parents did for them before, and you didn't see how much fun the child was having on the bicycle 20 minutes later. But you only got to see one frame, just a few moments, a snippet. My dear friends, when we look at history, we're seeing snippets, small little pieces. And because we're such pygmies, because we're such small little pueblos, mud hut dwellers, we get all excited and overwhelmed. We flip out. We lose ourselves. We question God. We may, might even be angry at God. But Dovin HaMelech says, no, no, no. Tzadikata. We believe with perfect faith, even when we can't see or understand it, that Hashem is righteous. The Yosher Kol Mishpatecha, all of the things that Hashem does are ultimately upright. All of those are good. So in closing, we really have identified three basic ways of understanding this verse. The first way is that God is righteous and as such the Torah which comes from God is perfect as well. The second is, we, we talked briefly about the Tehillus Hashem, where we say that Hashem, God, even in judgment, is always righteous. Even the Mishpatecha are Yosher, and because there's no such thing as anger or God losing himself or a, a lack of clarity or inability to be merciful or see things from the truest perspective. And lastly, we're addressing the greatest of faith conundrums, the challenges that we might have when we see good people suffer and wicked people prosper. And David HaMelech is giving us the statement of faith with which we can live, with which we can flourish, with which we can overcome and transcend the immediacy of the challenges we might find ourselves in.
And from here, we move now on to the next Pasuk. It says, David HaMelech, Tzivisa Tzedek. Tzivisa Tzedek essentially means that we are not only saying that God's ordinances are all Yashar, but we're saying God commanded or instructed the concept of tzedek. The concept of tzedek means that Hashem's edesecha, Hashem's testimonies, are all righteous, and they are tremendously faithful. What is the meaning of tzivisa? The Metzudah's David says, what David Amalek is trying to say here is, edesecha, the testimonies that you commanded, the things that you gave us, they are righteous. They are indeed very faithful. So essentially, on a level of pshat, we are continuing the first statement. The first statement is an emphasis of how the Torah is always right. And the Torah is always good. You are good. You are righteous. Your Torah is perfect. You instructed us the mitzvahs you actually gave us in real time are all tzedek. And you're extremely, extraordinarily faithful. Emunah ma'id. The Radak, he says, Tzivisa, Keloimar, Ahava Rabba Asiso Imanu. He says, You did for us our great love. That you gave us the opportunity of these mitzvahs, which are righteous and filled with faithfulness. In other words, it's not that we say God's mitzvahs, well, I have to accept them. They're, they're probably good. I'm saying God's mitzvahs are perfect and it's a privilege to be able to have them. God had tremendous faithfulness in us having given us those mitzvahs. Let me share with you the Medrash Tillim before we go on into the commentaries, and we will come back to the Medrash Tillim at the, conclu- at the conclusion, at the close of today's class. So the Medrash Tillim says, We must view God's kindness towards us as extraordinarily charitable and righteous because He gave us the Torah. He gave us the opportunity to study Torah. He gave us the opportunity to fulfill His testimonials. And as such, emuna mi'oid, He gave us great faithfulness. The Medrash Tillam says, emuna, that faithfulness is Torah. And that is the faithfulness with which Hashem created the world, the kindness that Hashem did for us, the faithfulness He placed in us. That's what David HaMelech is telling us to be grateful for. So, not simply I accept the will of Hashem. I'm grateful for it. I try to appreciate the fact that God entrusted us with the performance of His holy mitzvot. Now, the Shari Chaim has a very interesting way of explaining this. He says, Tzivisa Tzedek Edeisecha refers, of course, to God. But he says, V'yamuna ma'oid refers to people. Tzorech odam liyes maimin gadol. You need to be educated. You need to be considerate. You need to be cultured. You need to be sensitive. 
insightful, intuitive. But above all else, you need to be faithful. The foundation of everything is to be a big maimon, to live with faith and trust in Hashem. And this is the notion of, the Mishnah opens with say the Zroyim, say the Zroyim is agriculture, the foundation of agriculture is, I can do all the things to hope for growth. But in the end, it remains in Hashem's hands. So the underlying essence is faith that doesn't exonerate me from acting and doing my best. But faith is what undergirds us. And that's the shaydish, he says, l'chol maisetayv. That becomes the root source. It becomes the foundation for all good things. Because if we were not to have that faith, we would never be able to succeed at life. This is the meaning of what the prophet Hosea said with regard to Torah, tzaddikim yelchuba, the righteous can move forward, can progress with it, and the wicked will stumble. Perhaps this is something along the adage of the person of faith has no question, whereas the atheist has no answers. Having no question doesn't mean I understand everything. Having no questions means that ultimately I am not going to decide how to live my life by virtue of the lack of answers or questions that I have. The foundation of it all is emunah mi'oid. David HaMelech emphasizes that this faith we just talked about is extremely important. And I think that the Sharachayim bridges both approaches to these verses of Tilim, where we have to accept the Torah and see the Torah as a privilege and approach it from a point, from a vantage, of a, 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 a perspective of tremendous, great faithfulness, and then dealing with life's problems. You've got to be able to accept what comes your way with tremendous faithfulness. It doesn't mean we won't cry out. When somebody's in pain, they cry. It doesn't mean that we're not permitted to be shattered at times. Sometimes the halacha ordains or necessitates that kind of shattered approach. A person who's an onin, loses a loved one, is not expected to simply pick up and move on as if nothing's happened. That's a beautiful recipe for post-traumatic stress disorder. It's not healthy, and it's wrong. But in all of those times, we maintain our faith. And our faith is what gives us the strength to overcome those times. The notion that things just happen with no purpose is a cruel way to live, says Rambam. It's derech achzorius. Just because I don't know why things are happening, but believing that things happen for a reason gives me the strength and the inner fortitude and courage to contend with them and to deal with whatever might come my way. Now the Sepharno seems to indicate that the rest of this Pasuk, as we said, is all about our failing. He says God is righteous because we failed. What happened to us happened because we were perverse in judgment. Because what was required from us was tremendous faithfulness and integrity. And our lack of faithfulness and integrity is ultimately something that Hashem had to judge us for. In other words, he puts it kind of back on, within the frame of everything God does happens for a reason. And ultimately, we are the ones who have to be responsible when things go wrong. We have to recognize that responsibility, in the end, 
always lies with us. Hashem is perfect. We are not. The Alshech continues to read this verse as he read the verse previous. He suggests that this speaks about the person of faith and he says, the person of faith will see that things are going wrong sometimes. It doesn't seem right. Yet, he says, you have made it known to us. You have proverbially given us testimony that everything Hashem does is hakel hanemon shemer habris. That God is trustworthy and that God always keeps His covenant. He says, mitzvah lonu ladas. It is a sacred duty. One could argue even a righteous responsibility to know that even when Hashem does not reward the righteous in this world, He is hakel hanemon. Everything has recompense. Everything has a response. Goodness will engender goodness. Evil wickedness will engender same. Hashem is the ultimate shomer habris v'achesed. We don't always understand. Sometimes it can take generations. Sometimes things will not be understood clearly. But Hashem in the end will always recompense. And the Asher goes into the idea of Hashem visiting the iniquity upon future generations when they maintain that sordid, rotten, and bad behavior. And Hashem visiting prosperity and goodness on future generations up to a thousand generations because in the end, everything has a, so to speak, response. Nothing happens in isolation. Every move has a ripple effect. Goodness will always necessarily engender goodness, even if sometimes we aren't able to see it. Now, the Rebbe takes this entire, this entire um, two verses and he kinds of binds them all together. I'm saying that. By analyzing this medrash on the 137th verse. And I want to share that with you and conclude today's class on that note. So the Medrash says, what is Tzivisa Tzedek? That this is all a tzedakah. The Torah is not a burden, it's a gift. It's an extraordinary gift. Hashem has done with us the greatest of kindness. And then he quotes the rest of the Medrash. Hashem has given us these mitzvahs, so we have the opportunity to revere Him and to, to worship Him and to be obedient and to enter into a relationship with God. And this is all a toivlon. It's for our good. We are the recipients. We are ultimately the ones who are getting God's largest. And that's what's the appropriate response for us? Hashem is so kind to us, we should embrace these opportunities. And that's the meaning of Tzivisa Tzedek and Visecha. So the Rebbe says, okay, what we're essentially saying to everyone is not only don't question God, be thankful to God. Be thankful for the mitzvahs, including the mitzvahs you don't understand. Know that even when things don't go the way we'd like them to, ultimately, everything Hashem does is for the best. Not only is it for the best, not only does He recompense in accordance with our actions, God is the most charitable and giving we could possibly fathom. It's a gift Hashem gave us. All of this is a gift. It should be seen as an opportunity. 
It should be seen as a present. And that's the tzedakah asa kadosh baruch hu. Shenasan Hashem has done tzedakah, righteousness. What the world calls charity with us by giving us the Torah. So why is it? What did we do to merit this? Absolutely nothing. We got it for free. It was a gift that came to us. That he has selected us from all the nations. And he gave us the Torah. So the Rebbe begins now to analyze this concept. What do you mean God did a kindness? What do you mean he gave us the Torah as a gift? Who, who else was he going to give the Torah to? What does he mean a bachar bana? We are the children of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. We were put into impossible circumstances and nonetheless maintained our identity. We kind of earned this, didn't we? So the Rebbe says, in order to appreciate this medrash, we have to take a moment to ruminate on a mystical idea, an idea which is talked about at length in Hasidic doctrine, and that's the notion of real bechira, real choice. Real choice can only happen when you have two items that are essentially equal, or is e- equally virtuous or equally denuded of virtue. Because if the choice was made for something more virtuous, you didn't really make the choice. You were compelled to make the choice. Obviously, you could have made a dumb choice. You could have made a silly choice. But it's obvious that if you like meat, for example, and you were offered cheese blintzes or steak, it was obvious you were going to opt for the meat meal. If you like fish and you got fish or, fish or meat, of course you were going to go for the fish, not the roast beef. Yes, I know, you could have chosen the roast beef anyway to be a masochist and torture yourself, but it was obvious that you were compelled to make this choice. And if you made the choice to take what you don't like because for some reason you like to suffer, then that's another proclivity you have, which again, compelled your choice. So your choices were made before you made them. They weren't really your choices. They don't, they don't re- re- represent the deepest essence of who you are. They're simply a reflection of your external realities. Some of us are maybe jaded or influenced by things that happened in our youth, and therefore we gravitate in one direction or the other. So all of this can be predictable. In fact, some have maintained that virtually everything is predictable. (laughs) Just like if you see one thing will lead to the next. So predeterminism, Darwin's idea of predeterminism is that we can predetermine everything because Everything is a result of what happened before. There is a ripple effect. Of course, nuclear physics throws a monkey wrench into that whole theory of, of, of predeterminism. But the only reason that nuclear physics throws a monkey wrench into predeterminism is because it identified the nuclei which is unpredictable. And because it's unpredictable, we cannot predict where determinism will take us. But if the nuclei was predictable, in theory, we go back to the notion of predeterminism. So it's not really a choice. We could have known what you were going to choose. You were in a bad mood, you chose the food you didn't like. Yeah, very few people would do that. But you happen to have a record of doing that, so we knew that you would do that. Or we assumed you'd do that. Or you're a person, we know. We know what your patterns are. We know what you do this. By the way, that's what companies are doing today. It's chilling that you click on something 
and a moment later you're thrown 50 ads by Facebook only on this very thing, on making the assumption that that's something you're interested in. And the, average, the targeted advertising is, is positively chilling and frightening because they know everything about you. Your patterns of spending, your patterns of interest, they know how long you spend looking at certain things, and everything essentially can be tailored in a way that you're being controlled without even realizing it. Real choice, though, comes when there is absolutely no compelling force whatsoever. So on a superficial level, God is prone to the Jewish people. Of course he's prone to us. To the children of Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. We have all these merits. We come from people, men and women, who exhibited such extraordinary sacrifice, devotion, and diligence to God. Of course we were the natural choice to get the Torah. But that's all if we look at things on the superficial level. If we talk about the essence of divinity, what's called in the language of Hasidus, the essence of God, that's not predictable. That's not the result of external realities. When God gave us the Torah, it came from the deepest essence of divinity because our relationship with God is not based on rhyme or reason, but rather it is something essential. And because it represents something so profoundly essential, because there's a level of divinity in which sin or merit, in theory, make no difference. As the Medrash says, Imchatasa, Matifobay, Rabbi Matasale. You sinned, you didn't sin. Does God really care? And yet, God decides to care. And God gives us that opportunity. It's pretty obvious that it's not always going to make sense to us. In fact, as one wise person once observed, a God I could understand, I don't have to worship. It's precisely because we are in a relationship with God in a way that is transcendent of our rhyme and reason. Precisely because we are in a relationship with God in a way that is far more profound, far deeper than the phenomena we can observe, see, or interpret. It's precisely because of this that we live with great faith. Because faith is something that comes from our deepest essence. And it is with our faith that we can connect to the essence of Hashem. And so we declare, Tzadik Ata. Tzadik Ata Hashem. Hashem is always righteous. Yes, even when we don't understand it. Yashem Mishpatecha. Regardless of how God meets out judgment or what kind of mitzvah we're faced with, we know that it is right. Not on a level of rhyme and reason, on the level of faith. Tzivisa Tzedek. Hashem indeed has ordained as the Me'iri says, quoting French, he says, Ordeniste. Hashem has ordained for us tzedek. He has ordained for us righteousness. But it is only with great faithfulness. Hashem's faithfulness in us that we'll do the right thing. Our faith in Hashem that enables us to rise above the here and now and fulfill the will of Hashem in the most exquisite, devoted, and beautiful of ways. And this declaration of Davidic faith is something that can cradle and enable us to deal with our present challenges. And it is with this faith, Emir Hashem, that we will make it through the last dark days of Golos and very speedily, and in our time, enter into a new, open, overt, and illuminated reality, the coming of Mashiach, the Mehra, will be Amenu. Amen.